This morning, we are in part three of our Words to Live By series. And in this series, we're exploring the power of simple words and how those words can transform our lives if we'll learn to use those words effectively. So in week one of the series, we looked at the word no. And we learned from Joseph and his story of how he effectively used the word no in moments where many of us probably would have used the word yes and given in in to temptation that would pull us away from God. And then last week, we learned about the word yes. And we saw that our lives should be lived as a resounding yes back to God for all that God has done for us. Now, today we're going to look at a word that most of us hate. Like, we don't like this word. And there are several words in this series that we're going to learn together that we don't like, and today is one of them. So to set up the word that we're going to talk about today, I'm going to tell you a little story. So this story goes back to when I was in high school. And when I was in high school, um, my sister, uh, I have a brother and sister. My brother's seven years older than I am. My sister's eight years older than I am. And when I was in high school, my sister was dating a guy that was about her age. So he was, um, he was probably eight to 10 years older than I am. And he lived on a lake in central Florida. And so kind of the early parts of getting to know each other, he invited me to come over to his house and go fishing on that lake. And so I thought, well, I'll I'll go do that and go hang out with him for a little bit. So we go over and he's got this dock and he's got this little fishing boat, you know, ones with the metal, you know, seat, just a little aluminum boat and got an outboard motor. And so I climb in the front and he gets in the back, he cranks it up and across this alligator infested lake we go. So we're flying across the lake, and uh, you know the boat kind of starts off slow, and then it kind of levels out, and we're going pretty fast. And I'm thinking this guy's trying to impress my sister, because he's going very fast. But I'm in high school. I'm cool. I had hair back then, just saying. Uh, so I'm sitting there just in the front going, like, I'm not going to let him know that this is like a little too fast and a little weird, so I'm just going to act cool. And then the boat went faster and faster and got out of control. I mean, it was weaving back and forth across the lake. And at this point, I'm like, I can't be cool anymore. I have to hold on to the sides. So I grabbed the sides of the boat, and I'm thinking, this guy's an idiot. Like, I I can't wait to turn around and give him a piece of my mind. So we're going like this across the lake at full speed. I'm thinking, we're going to die. Until the boat tips up, catches water, dumps me into the water. I go under, the boat sinks to the bottom. I come up out of the water angry. I am furious, and I want to tell this guy something, and I'm looking around, and I can't find him. And I'm thinking for a split second, "Uh uh-oh, something really bad happened to him. Until I looked across the lake, and I see my sister's boyfriend on the dock that we left, and now I'm in the middle of the lake. So I was a little angrier, if that's the right way to say it. Probably isn't, but I was mad until I heard his version of the story. So his side of the story is this. We get in the boat. He cranks the engine. He sits down, opens it up, leans back in his little plastic seat that had been sun-dried, and it cracked and broke, and he rolled out of the back of the boat into the water. When he did that, he rolled his arm across the throttle, 
opened up the boat full speed, leaving me by myself without a driver in this alligator-infested lake, wishing that someone would have videoed this for some sort of prize that maybe I would have gotten. I don't know. So hilarious story at this side of it. But, you know, while I was in it, not so hilarious. And when I heard that, I'm like, oh, okay. All right. So I won't be too mad at you. But what's the word that comes to your mind when I'm sitting in the middle of this rather large alligator infested lake by myself with no boat? What did I need? Help. Yes. I needed help. Was I afraid? Sure. But I needed help in that moment. And the reality is we all need help, but many of us don't want to ask for help. We struggle with this word help. We like to offer help. We like to be help. But many times we don't like to say, hey, I need help. Will you give me help? And there seems to be a specific gender that seems to really struggle with asking for help. Anybody know what that gender might be? Men. Yes, men. Anybody in that club, that man club? Yes. So... Being a part of that club, I would rather drive an hour out of the way than to stop and ask directions for help, and that might take five minutes. Anybody else feel that way? So um, come tonight to the men's event. I'm not going to tell you where it is. Just see if you can find it. (laughs) Drive around town. If you get there an hour later, I know you are in the man club. (laughs) You will be welcomed. But beyond just men struggling with this word help, we all struggle with the word help. We all struggle with asking for help. And that shows up when uh, relationships fall apart. Not being able to ask for help leads to divorce, leads to bankruptcy, uh, leads to job loss, uh, leads to all kinds of pain and sorrow that other people around us can go through, that we can go through ourselves just because we're struggling with asking for help. So as a way to kind of ease into this conversation this morning, what I'd like you to do is tell the person sitting next to you, I'm glad you're here because you need help. Okay? All right. Since uh, none of us need help this morning, just... Be available for the person sitting next to you who might need help. And today we're going to look at a Bible story out of 2 Kings. And it's a story of a guy who needed help in a time that he asked for help and some of his response when he asked for help. So I think there's some interesting things that we can learn through this story. And I'll tell you kind of the key players of the story. So we've got two countries. We've got Israel and then we've got uh, Aram is another country a little bit northeast of Israel, if you know kind of that part of the world in the Middle East. Then we have the, the kings of these two countries, and we have a guy by the name of Naaman. And Naaman was the captain kind of of the guard. He was the commander of the guard of the country of Aram. And then we've got a little servant girl who was actually kidnapped from Israel during one of the Araminian raid parties. So these two countries hated each other, and they were constantly at war with each other and fighting, and so sometimes they would, one group would come over to the other group and attack and take plunder and take people away back to their country. So it's just this constant fighting going on back and forth. And then we have this guy by the name of Elisha. 
And Elisha is the prophet of the land of Israel, is a prophet of God. And uh, God has done some significant things in Elisha's story. And this is just one of the things that God did through Elijah. But we're going to be focusing primarily on Naaman today. So 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given them great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may understand leprosy just a little bit. But if you're not familiar with the Bible, you may say, like, what is that? Is that something that happened a long time ago? Uh, But leprosy still exists today. And it's a contagious disease. It affects the skin. It affects the nerves. And if you get this disease, what can happen is your nerves can get so damaged, you lose the ability to feel pain. And that might sound wonderful, Uh, But it's not so wonderful when you're standing and you've got your hand on a hot stove and you don't recognize that it's burning. So appendages could be lost. Uh, There's significant disfigurement. The disease actually can eat parts of the body, can like eat someone's nose off. Uh, So when people understood someone had leprosy, often they were excluded from the community. Lepers usually lived in communities all by themselves because nobody else wanted that. And in uh, Israel, it was actually uh, against the law, if you had leprosy, to be around anybody else. And you had to announce, unclean, unclean, and stay away from everybody else in your own community. So Naaman has leprosy. Verse 2 says, at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria, which is a part of Israel. He would heal him of his leprosy. Now, we're not sure what Naaman has done at this point in his journey of trying to get healing, but being the official, the high-ranking official that he is, he would have had a lot of resources available to him. Uh, He could have seen many of their doctors. He could have seen the the best doctors that they had. He could have seen their own prophets. I'm sure he would have prayed fervently to their gods, but none of that has worked. So Naaman is in a desperate spot. If he doesn't get the help that he needs, he'll live separate, isolated from all of his family, all of his friends. Uh, He will die a horrible death. And so he's in a super desperate spot. And I think that desperation can be one of the things that helps us to to get the help that we need because when we're desperate, often we'll do things that we may not normally do. And so this morning, I'd like to ask you, are you desperate for God to do something in your life? Are you desperate for God to maybe do something in your marriage? Is there another relationship that you're desperate for God to do something in? Is there a financial issue you're desperate about? Is there a health issue you're desperate for God to do something? Desperation is actually a good place to be because it's often where God does some of his greatest work. So if you're desperate, you're kind of right at the threshold of being able to step into receiving some of the help that God offers. So Naaman is desperate. Verse four says, Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. 
And it's, instead of saying, well, she's just a slave girl from Israel, what does she know? The king says this. He says, go visit the prophet. I'll send a letter of introduction uh, for you to take to the king. So Naaman started out, and he carried his gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. And the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. So imagine getting that kind of letter and what your response might be. We'll see that in, in just a second. But remember, these two countries hate each other. They're enemies. And yet in Naaman's desperation, in his king's desperation, they're willing to turn to the last people on earth they would ever want to get help from in order to get help. I think that's another principle that can help us uh, with this whole concept of receiving help that we need is because sometimes the help that we need comes from people and places we'd rather it not come from. Sometimes the greatest help that we need comes from people and places we'd rather not receive the help from. So that's happened in my life on many occasions, but on one occasion, I was in a tough spot and I needed God to do something in my life. And I was praying, God, I, I need help. I need you to send help. And God sent help from someone I didn't want help from. And when that help came along, I had a conversation with God that went like this. God, are you kidding me? Like, why that person? Not, don't use that person. Use somebody else. Don't use them. Like, they're going to make this all about them. Like, they're going to show up and tell everybody, look at all the great things I did for Trent. When he was in his moment of need, he was desperate. He didn't want to ask for help. And I showed up, and look what I did for him. And I said to God, I don't want that. They're going to make it about them instead of me. <laughs> God said, you need to humble yourself. You prayed for help. I sent it. So humble yourself and take the help that I've given, no matter where it comes from. We don't know what God may be doing in that person. And we don't know what other thing God may want to do in us. We don't know what other issue God may be trying to address in our lives when we receive help from someone we're not all that excited about. So verse 7 says, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. He had the wrong perspective. And then Elisha, the man of God, when he heard the king of Israel torn his clothes in dismay, he sent him this message. He says, why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn there's a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Sounds simple enough. Just you take a quick dip and a quick swim in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. Verse 11 says, Naaman became angry and stalked away. Like, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. Like, does he not realize who I am? And then I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call in the name of, of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. 
Now, beyond just getting the courage to ask for help, like Naaman did in this moment, uh, Naaman pushed even farther beyond receiving help from someone that he didn't really want to get help from. And then Naaman struggled with doing the simple thing that he was asked to do. And sometimes the greatest help that we get from God involves us doing some simple thing. And like Naaman's not the only one who was, was angry in that moment. Like we all kind of get angry in those moments. And Naaman wasn't the only one who wished that, that God would just wave his hand over Naaman's issues. Many of us wish God would just wave his hand over our issue. Maybe you're in that spot this morning. I just wish God would fix my marriage like that. I just wish God would fix my whatever just like that. And Naaman was, was in that spot just wishing and angry about the context of how this thing played out. And I think that, that God can do that in sometimes, in some moments. There are certain situations I think that God can heal somebody instantly, that, that something can happen that, that gives us the help that we need, that all of a sudden our, our problems are gone, our, our solution appears. I think that can happen. But many times the help that we need involves us doing some simple thing. Something as simple as washing in a river. Here's another example from my life. So I've recognized for several months in this year, uh, I have had a bad attitude. And beyond having a bad attitude, I would say I've dealt with some anger issues. Like I've just been angry. What about anything, everything, nothing, something, little things, big things, just, just angry. And um, I, actually, it's something I've wrestled with at different seasons in my life. And so it's not s- something new for me. Um, and here's what happens for me when I get angry. I don't yell and scream and cuss and uh, punch walls or throw things. When I get angry, I shut down. Like I internalize everything and I just kind of go inside and I shut down. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to interact with anybody. And the people that suffer the most are my family. And so when I'm in kind of one of those moments, um, I'm, I'm like the hibernating bear that somebody woke up and I'm just angry, kind of walking around the house and I make it very clear to everybody else, just leave me alone. Uh, don't, don't poke the bear even my dog avoids me, you know, on those days. My dog keeps her head down. And don't look at him. He's, he's having a bad day. About, I think it was about 10 years ago, I was having one of those moments. And I was just angry. And I was sitting in my office at home. And I was working. And uh, my courageous little daughter, Annie, who I think was about five at that time, Annie courageously came into the bear den. Yeah. And she came up to the bear And she said, uh, Dad, do you love God? Now, I'm sitting there going, oh, no. Like, I'm about to be schooled by my five-year-old. Like, this is not not good. I'm supposed to be leading her spiritually, and here she is leading me spiritually. So here we go. Why, yes, honey, I, I love God. And she says, sometimes you don't act like it. Wow. You kidding me? 
And in reality, well, she's right. Sometimes I don't act like I love God. And I hate that. I hate that part of my life. I hate when I act that way. I hate when I allow uh, my frustration over something small to become something bigger than it should be. Like, like, I hate that part of my life. I hate when my family suffers because I'm just being a jerk. I hate that. And so God whispered to me this year about that. He said, you need to go talk to somebody about that. And my response was, yeah, right. Like, that's going to help. Like, talking to anybody would ever help. And uh, if you don't know me, just understand where I come from. Before I was a pastor, I was a counselor. <laughs> you should laugh at that. All right, so as a counselor, I'm used to talking to people about their problems. I'm used to encouraging people to talk about their problems. Like, that helps a lot if you do that. And I, in that moment, am saying, God, I'm not willing to do the simple thing that you've asked me to do. And I refused for several weeks, and then I got to a des desperate spot. I said, I, I need to talk about this. So I went to a friend, sat down with a friend and said, hey, uh, man, I've got some issues. He said, I know. <laughs> I know, I'm not talking about those issues, I'm talking about other issues. So I got some anger issues, like I've just been angry a lot. And we started a conversation, we've had multiple conversations about that, like, uh, what that looks like, what I can do in those moments. And here's the funny, sad thing. He has not said anything I have not said to somebody else. Just simple stuff. I encourage people to do all the time. And I've been struggling with how to do that. So out of that, I started having other conversations with other friends. And then two weeks ago, I felt compelled. Uh, our uh, couples group that my wife and I are part of, has taken a little bit of time off this summer, and so we came back a couple of weeks ago, started meeting again, and I felt compelled in that group meeting to say, hey gang, I need you to pray for me, and I'm giving you permission to ask me about this stuff in me. I'm giving you permission to ask me about my anger issues. And I can honestly say that the simple things of talking with other people has helped me and is helping me to deal with my issues. So what issues might you need help with? And what simple thing might God want you to do this morning? Back to our story. Verse 13 tells us that after Naaman was furious with Elijah, his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he simply asks you, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the river, the Jordan River, and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed. And I wonder if Naaman did that the way that I kind of responded when God was telling me to go talk to somebody. Like, I wonder if he, like, stomped down there like a two-year-old, you know, down to the river's edge, and then went in and dipped in the water and came up the first time and says, like, this is silly. I'm dipping in a dirty river. I wonder after the fourth time he said, see, I told you this isn't going to work. And then after the seventh time, we read in verse 14, he went in and he came out healed, clean. And I think the point for us out of that is there are moments 
that I think God wants us to do the simple thing over and over and over and over again because there's something that else that God is doing in us. Beyond just the thing that we think we need help with, I think God wants to address the thing that he knows we need help with. So for Naaman, did he need to be healed of leprosy? Absolutely. Did Naaman need a relationship with God that would last for all of eternity? Yeah, that was way more important. And he got that. So after he was healed, he runs back to Elijah and says, now I know there is a God in Israel. Now I know and I will serve him and worship him the rest of my life. When I go back to my country, I go back to my king and my king goes in to worship his God, I won't worship that God anymore. I'll worship the God of Israel. So Naaman not only got the help for the stuff he thought he needed, he got the help for the stuff God knew he needed. So what help might you need this morning? Again, do you have a marriage that's falling apart? Do you have a wayward child that won't come home? Do you have a financial hole that you keep digging and you can't get out of? Is there some health issue, some addiction issue, some attitude issue? Uh, Don't raise your hand, but does anybody here have anger issues? Don't point. (laughs) Don't point at people. Somebody might struggle with anger. There may be an attitude that just has gotten a hold of you, and it it has more control over you than you have over it. Are you desperate this morning? Are you desperate for God to do something in your situation? Again, desperation can lead us to do some simple things that we may not normally do, like asking for help. So for some of you this morning, the greatest thing that possibly you could do is just say, I need help. Admit it. Admit it to God. Admit it to a friend. Maybe you need to admit it to a professional counselor. I don't recommend me because you've heard my stuff, right? <laughs> but maybe you need to talk to a professional counselor. Maybe this, this issue has gone on for so long and you just need that professional help. Uh, if you need professional help, on our website, theepicchurch.com, there's a care tab. And under the care tab, you'll find some local counselors that we recommend. And maybe you could find the help that you need just by simply making an appointment. So what is it that you might need help with today and what simple thing might you need to do? One of the things I encourage for everybody, if you're part of our church family, um, I encourage everybody to be a part of a community group. So we have community groups for men, for women, for couples. Uh, We believe in the value of community so much we have community groups for our students and our children. Like There are community groups happening right now uh, on our campus. And I think everybody should be in the context of a community group because we think like, if you come Sunday only, you miss a big portion of what happens in the life of our church family. Um, we believe that circles are actually better than rows. And when you get in a circle, you can actually look in the eyes of someone else and you can actually offer help or receive help or ask for help. And it's the context of that relationship where we can learn to be more like Jesus and where Jesus can actually touch parts of our lives that uh, we may not recognize need to be touched. And a community group can do that. 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm not going to no group where I got to hold hands with somebody else, sing Kumbaya, and tell them my deepest, darkest secrets. Like, I get that. That's how I felt before I started the journey over 20 years ago. Over the past 20 years, I've been learning how to do life in the context of relationships with other people where I ask for help and I offer help, where there's these relationships that God designed us to be in where we can learn to live more like Jesus and we were never designed to do life by ourselves. So I think a community group would be a great thing for everybody to be involved with. But if you're new with us and thinking like, ah, I'm not sure I'm ready for that step yet, the first thing I'd recommend is starting point. Starting point is a great environment where if you're new to faith and just kind of exploring, you're not sure about all this stuff, or if you're returning to faith, it would be a great environment for you to hear the story of God and begin to experience community here at Epic. And we've got our informational meeting today that you could sign up for that. If you're interested in a community group, we've got a table right here on your way out. Just You can sign up for that on the way out. Somebody will contact you about some of our community groups, and our starting point uh, group will happen today as well. So we've got a lot of opportunities for, for you to take a next step. But again, what is that thing that you need to do, that simple thing? As we close today, our worship team is going to sing a song called, O Come to the Altar. And during this song, what I encourage you to do is turn this song into a conversation where you can talk to God about the help that you might need. And the altar in scripture was significant, uh, and it talked about, um, it represented having a conversation with God, like coming to God for that conversation and the needs that we have. So this morning, your seat could become an altar. And at that altar, through this song, you could say, God, I need help. Through this song, you could determine to do one of the simple things that God wants you to do, like maybe talk to a friend, maybe see a counselor, maybe sign up for a community group, maybe sign up for a starting point, all just simple things. And maybe this morning you need to commit to do that simple thing over and over and over again to get the help that you need. Listen to Psalms 46 as we close. It says this, it says, God is our refuge and strength always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. And why can we say that? Because God is our refuge and strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. So God's ready to help you this morning. What we need to do is raise our hand and admit we need it. Receive the help that he provides from wherever that comes and do the simple thing he asks us to do over and over and over again. So would you stand with me? We're gonna pray. And then sing. So, Lord, I admit I think we all admit we hate asking for help. It's such a hard thing to do. Uh, we would rather offer help. We'd rather be help. But God, the reality is we all get to points in life where we desperately need help. And I'm so grateful that Scripture teaches over and over again, you are ready 
to help us. You're ready in times of trouble. And this morning, there's people here, I'm sure, who are in trouble. uh, In spots that they desperately need you to do something. And so, God, you use that desperation. And that desperation can push us to ask for help and receive help that you provide. Lord, no matter where that help comes from, no matter how you bring that help to us, I pray that we would be humble and receive that help. And God, I pray that we would do the simple thing that you ask us to do over and over and over again because, God, we know that there are parts of who we are that you want to touch. There's ways that we need help that you want to get to that's way beyond the stuff that we think we need help with and involves the stuff that you know we need help with. So, Lord, this morning we come to the altar. We want to hear from you. And we commit to do what you ask us to do. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this. Amen.